Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has a chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner and I use they, them pronouns. So Tanner, we're heading into the spoopy month. The, the spook approaches. <laughs> Last year you had no idea what to do for Halloween and now you're just like champing at the bit. Well, I actually did have an idea for Halloween, remember? When The Nun came out? That's true. You were right, it was, you had to scramble for a second idea, because I was very all in, like, oh no, every, every single episode has to be Halloween themed. Yeah. But, I did save myself, so. You did. With giant cats! And I am, and I am not doing all Halloween episodes. In fact, I don't even know if I have any Halloween episodes lined up. Uh-oh. I know we, as as a corporation, do, but not me, the human. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm at least uh, bringing the spoopy, the spooky, the ghoulish, and weird with today's episode. We're going to adopt the historian by Elizabeth Gustova. Oh, no, not history! Ah, the horror! Ah, this is on brand. It is. So on brand, it hurts. It's, the, this book was written by you in the future. <laughs> me in the past, actually. A past version of me. A future version of me who traveled back in time to write yeah. this. Because it was published, like, what, 2000s? 2006, I think it was. Anyway, to give, like, I guess the light, quick summary, because this is actually a tome. Um, 600 pages. Yeah. That's a tome to some people, okay? It wouldn't be that bad for me um, if I was still in middle school where I was just devouring books left and right. Yeah, it's just, I don't want to say stuff about the YA scene, but I've rarely seen a book over 400 pages so far in the 16... In the well, YA I think section. 400 is like a good page amount, 300 to 400. Um, also, I have had friends who were like, Oh my gosh, Tanner, I can't believe it's taking you so long to read The Stand. And I'm like, it's a thousand pages long! And they're like, yeah, what's taking you so long? But then again, I'm just like, I like to take my time with a book. It takes me a while to get through a book. I'm not one who like likes to read 50 books in a year. I feel like I forget most of it. I mean, that's fair. I If I get into a good rhythm... I can do that, but it's not like I'm trying to speed read. I read books quickly when I really like them. Like when I was well, reading the Gone series, I it was impossible for me to stretch that out over more than two days. Okay. Because I had to know. I had to know what happened next. Yeah. And you just operate at a faster pace than general. This is true. But like if I'm taking a long time with a book, it's I want it to be my own choice. Not because the book is making me so miserable. Cough, tie for Banks, cough, model land, cough. <laughs> yeah. I had to read it. The prophecy foretold. <laughs> anyway, a very quick and dirty summary of the historian. Uh, Vlad the Impaler is Dracula, and he is stalking a family of historians because he likes smart people. <laughs> Dracula is sapiosexual. No! Oh. <laughs> Fucking Christ, Internet. How, t- 
how to ruin a podcast in three words or less. Yeah. (laughs) Well, actually, it's not... um, He likes them because they're smart because he's got plans for something. I think the implication is not so much world domination, but keeping the world kind of chaotic. He likes war. It's And it's easier to operate in the shadows when there's shadows all over the globe. Yeah. Um, I would say his character can easily be summed up by the speech that the Major made in Helsing Ultimate Abridged. Yeah. He loves war. I love when everyone is just constantly tearing each other apart because it gives me great opportunities to eat people. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um... So basically what I want to do with the series is turn it into a mini-series. Yes. Because, honestly, this book is big enough that, yeah, you could easily make, like, what, three episodes about an hour long? If not more? I think I think we could get up to eight episodes. Okay. Because I, I also read The Historian, and I yeah. have a few ideas I want to put into this, but I'm going to let you take the lead, obviously, because you're the one who gave the book to me. <laughs> um... Yeah. You're like, Tanner, so, read this so you can understand my current obsession. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of an epistolary book, and uh, we covered what an epistolary novel is, but generally speaking, it's usually made up of like letters, diary entries, journal stuff. It's not really, it's a story that's kind of linear, but it's not written, you know, in the normal style. It's linear if you choose it to be, but it doesn't have to be. It can easily just be a whole jumble, and you have to basically sort puzzle out everything yeah, and in, in this case it's kind of like a story within a story within a story yes it's the the narrator is writing an account of what happened when she was younger and her younger her younger self is reading her father's journals and then there are parts in the father's journals where the father is reading the journals of his professor yes. Who, but that that's how nested yeah. it gets with the eventual revelations that um they're all related basically. Um, The mentor turns out to be the narrator's grandfather um, because one of the other main heroes, uh, Helen, uh, who's the father's love interest, uh, becomes the narrator's mother. And she's the mentor's daughter. Yeah, she's the mentor's daughter. Yeah. Because of reasons. It's kind of written more like like a gothic novel and while it's spooky and there's at points kind of scary it's not a horror novel there's not a there's not a lot of blood um it's a thriller yeah it's a thriller actually i feel like thriller is even a step too far yeah uh let's see where was that one it's it's spooky yeah oh here's the quote um so apparently elizabeth costova promised herself that only a cup of blood would be spilled in the novel (laughs) So, yeah, there's not a lot of gore. I think she, I think she stuck pretty close to that. Yeah. I would say maybe, like, half a cup. Because, yeah, some people get their blood drank. We can't account for how much was drank. Yeah. But generally speaking, like, you could easily lose, like, what? A, how much did they take out of you when you donate blood? About a pint? I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah. Same here. Um, 470 millimeters. Millimeters? Yeah, millimeters. They use millimeters for this. Millimeters is a measure of distance. Milliliters, I mean. Milliliters. That's why I was getting confused. 470 milliliters (laughs) is equal to 
Yeah, a little over a cup. Almost two cups, actually. I shouldn't say a little over, but yeah. So basically the amount of blood... Actually, yeah, probably the amount of blood that is fully drained is... Listen, we don't need to exsanguinate a person live on the podcast, <laughs> so... I would say about five cups in total. It's not graphic. It's not graphic. It isn't... Is what we're trying to get yeah. across. There, There's no gore, which is why I also like it, because I have a thing where... Sometimes my overactive imagination can get the better of me. Yeah, anyway, uh, the general plot starts with the narrator, who goes unnamed throughout the entire thing. Uh, she's recounting her time as like a 15, 16, 17-year-old, I would say. She is in her dad's library. She discovers um, this weird leather-bound book. And she opens it up and there's like a woodcut of a dragon and on the bottom it says Draculia. And she's like, Dad! What the fuck? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, I guess I have to tell you some family secrets. Um, so your mom didn't die. She kind of disappeared, and uh, we might be the victims of uh, vampire stalking. It's not a curse. It's just extremely yeah. inconvenient. <laughs> um, so she travels around with her dad. She's uh, she's an American kid living in Europe, and uh, he does some diplomatic work. And um, through all this, she learns more and more about her family's past. We go back into her dad's past, where he's a, um, I think he was a doctoral candidate. By that point, yeah, yeah. he was working on uh, that. Yeah, sounds right. He was working on his uh, history thesis, rather by my standards, boring topic of talking about uh, 16th century Dutch merchants. I'm just like, there's only so many times I can hear about double entry accounting before I start falling asleep. Stonks. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, I his mentor and um. Yeah, I mean, uh, advisor, because you get one when you're when you're a doctoral student, um, is one Professor Bartholomew Rossi. And as it turns out, he's got this weird book because one day while Paul is, you know, doing some research and writing up some stuff in his little, um, if our listeners haven't been to a, specifically a university library, they will notice that there's some desks with like the little, like, Kind of like wings in the front, wood panel, so that you can like concentrate on your stuff. Yeah, the blinders, basically. Yeah, the blinders. Uh, so he's in one of those, and apparently at some of the more fancier schools, you can like get ones assigned to you, so that you can like keep your books there, and the librarians won't fuck with it. Because I can imagine like you're done with your research for the day, and then they take all of your books. And put them back on the shelves, and then you're like, "Ugh, I gotta find these all over again." Whereas I just check them all out. Catch me walking out the library with two tote bags full of research material. <laughs> Meanwhile, some poor librarian, some poor librarians, like doing their like end of day checks, like, "Wow, someone really did take the entire Irish pathology section home, didn't they?" <laughs> yeah, you see, I mostly stuck to uh, journal articles. Turns out that. Uh, Academic journals are really good sources for all sorts of material. Again, to any university student out there, uh, check those out. JSTOR is your friend. Yes. Yeah. Holy smokes. Oh, God. They will save your life so much. Also, okay, so 
when you're citing your sources, as soon as you open an article and start reading it, write, make a citation for it yeah. immediately. Because you don't want to yeah. lose it. Now, sometimes you might end up in a situation like I did, where I cited a source that I never actually used uh -oh. for anything. <laughs> and it was like, noted at the bottom, like, well, this is a really good article that you cited, but I don't think you ever actually refer to it whatsoever. <laughs> but it's better... <laughs> It's better to better to be oversighted than undersighted. That is true. Cite everything. Also, one time I got to cite TV tropes. I also cited TV tropes, and I cited Rantasma for a thing. Nice. Yeah. I think TV tropes is the most obscure. I mean, you could say that it was weird that I had to cite the very first appearance of Carol Danvers as Miss Marvel solely for demonstrating how revealing her first costume was. But considering it was an article about the history of Miss Marvel, uh, it's justified. Yeah, um, I had to talk once about the male gaze during a uh, criticism of a biography of Mussolini because I got very uncomfortable with some of the ways that some of the women were depicted. And I am like, this author is focusing way too much on this. <laughs> in Mussolini? Not on Mussolini, on his mistresses. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that... That class is fucking wild, okay? Italian history is fucking wild. Extremely dry chapters on train schedules, and then several chapters like, and that like it turns into a James <laughs> Bond book where she dramatically shows up in a mink coat or some shit. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Mussolini... You're here just typing, why can't Mussolini show up in a sexy mink coat? I'm more just like, he isn't he... he it's like this author's going out of his way to say, like, no, no, he had really bad taste in women because they were all fucking ugly, but you're still lingering on this fucking Christ! Yee. Anyway. Vampires. Vampires. So, Paul is, like, one of those students who's working on his shit, it's getting late, he's like, oh, it's dark outside now, I better go home. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Oh, that's especially fun when you're working on papers in the winter. Oh, yeah. Where there is no dusk. It just turns off. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah. Especially here on the prairies, where it could be like... Holy fuck, blinding bright at about noon. And then by four, it's like... Huh. I can't see anything. The darkness is even swallowing up the street lamps. Yep. You know, considering how late we had to stay for some of our papers, it's a good thing we didn't end up hopping on a ghost train or something. Ghost bus. Yeah. Yeah, and given how haunted this this town is, like... Well, we never had to go to a stop by Dark Hall. Yes, that's true. The most haunted building in Canada. It's not the most haunted building in Canada. I thought, Or maybe it's just the most haunted building in the city. Probably in the city, because I know that Fort San uh, Sanatorium, way more haunted. But that's by okay. virtue of being, like, a former TB hospital back when it was at epidemic levels. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, do you want to know why Dark Hall is chock-a-block full of ghosts? It's because they called it Dark Hall. And all the ghosts were like, well, hell, I gotta haunt this place. I don't want to be haunting, like, the Mill Creek Pub. I want to haunt Dark Hall. Yeah, um... Also, uh, Government House has a ghost, and they named him Howie. Nice. Yeah. My mom worked in a pub that had two ghosts, but they never named any of them. Oh, yeah, that was the place where, like, the one chick was in the bathroom, and all of a sudden all the doors 
started. Yeah, the cleaning lady was in the bathroom and the door started swinging back and forth and she just started saying Hail Marys until she was done. As soon as she was finished, she quit. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> that would. Which at that point, I'm like, why? Why did you finish though? Like, if if you're gonna quit, you might as well just quit. I don't think anyone would have blamed you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it would look real good on a cover letter, though. Oh yeah, I worked at the most haunted place in Calgary. She was getting bobaduked, and she still finished her shift. Yeah, worked at the most haunted place in Calgary, still finished the job. Yeah. <laughs> Poltergeist can fucking suck it. <laughs> Anyway, so Paul finds a weird-ass book. It's leather-bound. It's got... It just shows up in his stack. Yeah, just fucking randomly, like, one of those... Oh, I went to use the can for, like, five fucking seconds, and all of a sudden there's this weird book that's got a woodcut of a dragon with a banner that says Draculia. And he's like, hey, Dr. Rossi? What the fuck? <laughs> and it's, isn't the book completely blank? Yeah, except for that woodcut. Except for the woodcut, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing else in this book. It's weird. So he takes it to his prof because he's like, well, he knows about old books. He might know, he might help me out. And it just so happens he's got his own. <laughs> yeah. Um, Welcome to the club. Yeah. Leave immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sucks. So... Uh, Bartholomew of uh, Rossi says, like, yeah, I went to Greece this one time, and that's where I found this book, because I was doing some research down there, and I went on a side quest up to Romania, and I don't really remember what happened. <laughs> it's the ghost book! Yeah. And then Paul leaves, and then he looks back up, like, he sees the lights on in the office window, and then Weird black thing flashes, and then it goes out, and he's like, oh, that was weird. And then his prop disappears, and there's a giant splot of blood on the ceiling. He's like, oh, fuck. How many milliliters? <laughs> anyway, um, I should say that, yes, uh, Rossi did confirm that he has a theory that Dracula is still around, that he somehow became immortal, and that he's going after scholars for whatever reason. Couldn't tell you why. I tried figuring it out. Also, nobody, and this is a real fact, nobody knows where Vlad Tepish, the actual guy, is buried. Yes. Yeah. So we, I think in our Q&A we talked about how Vlad Tepesh wasn't as big an inspiration for Vlad or for Count Dracula as a lot of people like to think he is. Yeah. It was literally Bram Stoker was doing some research about Romania, saw the name Vlad Dracula, and then probably read like, uh, this is a word that means uh, son of the dragon. And he's like, that sounds fucking badass. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to start a metal band. And then someone's like, metal bands don't exist yet. And it's like, in that case, I'm going to start a horror novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some debate about uh, Vlad Tepes's actual historical legacy because he's a big-ass boogeyman over in Turkey, but he's kind of a national hero for uh, Romania because um, he got rid of a lot of corrupt nobles and he fought for Velocity freedom and all that. But he was also kind of fucking evil. And listen, there are a lot of there's a lot of national heroes across history that became heroes because they majorly fucked up other nations. Yeah. 
Yeah. If anything, like, I am not an official historian because I've never had anything officially published, but I'm just going to put And you haven't gotten your, uh, you haven't gotten your Dracula Club membership yet? Yeah. But, (laughs) uh, my opinion is that he was probably just like your bog standard warlord for the time. The Hungarians didn't really like him because basically what the Holy Roman Emperor and the King of Hungary wanted Vlad to do was basically act as a buffer between them and the Ottomans. And he's like, no, I don't want to do everything that you're telling me to do. I'm my own person. I'm going to do my own thing. So yeah, he was screwing everybody over. And then they're like, well, fuck you. Also, <laughs> become a Catholic. And he's like, sure, to get the alliance. And then he's like, nope, I'm Orthodox. Throwing up the deuces. <laughs> yeah, the Middle Ages was just like, Backstabbing all the time. Just constant backstabbing. Couldn't trust anyone. So I'm currently picturing you doing your archival work and like one of these Dracula books shows up in your stack and you go through the whole treasure hunt to find him specifically to ask him why he even... What were you doing in Saskatchewan? What is there here? There's nothing here. Why do you care? (laughs) You have potash. (laughs) I'm not a geologist! See, not a lot of people know this, but Dracula has a large investment in the wheat board. <laughs> he made a lot of money off of the Saska boom. He shows up like, let's get this bread, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what? What the impaler in a fucking writer jersey? <laughs> <laughs> Sucking the juice out of a watermelon. (laughs) Yep, with his teeth. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, that happens. Also, Paul meets a pretty lady in a cafe. Named, well, no, he doesn't meet her in the cafe. He sees her at the library because she's reading a whole bunch of books on Dracula. And he eventually finds out that her name is Helen Rossi. That she is a... A foreign student who came from Hungary. So, uh, good job there, pre-Hungarian Revolution, when they actually, like, made the government take a whole bunch of chill pills. Um, prior to 1956, uh, when Hungary was forced to become a Soviet satellite state, um, their government was one of the worst. And even Moscow was like, oh, no. Like, they still sent in the tanks to take out the the revolution that was happening there because it's like no we can't have you breaking off and becoming part of the west hungary but they're like all of these former government officials uh you go to jail the country takes like all the xanax and we put in a much more calm regime much more liberal gonna be okay with this you're gonna be a model for the rest of the west to show that communism isn't all that bad that's basically what happened I'm sorry, Hungarian listeners, that I'm glossing over one of the biggest points in near history, but, like, we've only got an hour. <laughs> we've only got half an hour now, because th- this is a really dense book. Lindsay, okay. is it okay if I take over and I do uh, Cliff's notes of the rest of this? Yes. Okay, so Paul meets Helen, and he finds out that she's a student from Hungary, and he's like, hey, you have the same name as my disappeared mentor, and she's like, oh, that's really convenient, because I'm pretty sure he's my dad, and I was trying to figure out what the hell happened and why he left my mother. 
And so they also realize that they're both researching Dracula-type stuff. They're like, oh, same hat. Let's go on a worldwide quest to find out if there's any historical connections between Dracula and the actual Vlad the Impaler. And it takes them mainly around spots in Europe and the Ottoman Empire and... Uh, Former Ottoman Empire. Former Ottoman, Ottoman Empire, Empire was dissolved after World War One. Yeah. Okay, what, which years is this quest taking place in? Um, they didn't give an exact date, but I know it's prior to 1956. Yeah, so basically they're in a worldwide uh, situation where getting passports to get to all these places is like pulling teeth. And yeah. the fact that they're able to get into so many of them is extremely lucky. Yeah, I think part of it is that Helen knows people. Yeah, eventually they do confirm that, uh, yes, this time the vampires are real. They make friends with a guy who's part of an ancient Ottoman order of vampire hunters. That's pretty sweet. Yep. They get to, like, old Wallachia and find this... No, they go to Bulgaria. They couldn't get into Romania. Right. Get into Bulgaria. But it's, like, it's basically the old, old, old country. Like, this isn't even a tourist trap. This is, like... This was... Village lost in time. Yeah, this was butt-fuck-nowhere Bulgaria, where, like, the communist presence is, like, the one guy who's the party member, and it's like, guys, I really don't think you should be going to church, but, uh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Steppa! Nobody likes you! <laughs> He's like, would you like to learn the glories of, of communism? And then one lady, like, looks at him with an evil eye, and he can feel his grandchildren dying in the future. Yeah. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll just shut up then. Yeah. Uh, so they get into Bulgaria, and they find the secret tomb that is, like, one of Dracula's backup tombs, and they find Professor Rossi in there, and he's like, Oh, Helen, I wish that I hadn't been mind-controlled by vampires to forget that I had a whole affair with your mother. But she sounds nice. Uh, basically, <laughs> Dracula has been stalking scholars because he wants us to write his biography. But he wants to make sure we're super cool, so he gives us the journal as a hint, and then he blue-balls us by like <laughs> trying to kill us before we can find any other information connecting him. And the fact that I was able to connect two dots means that he really likes me. The fact that you guys were able to connect even more dots means that you need to get out of here before he locks you up too. Yeah, because as I said earlier, um, Dracula really likes war and he likes ways of sowing chaos throughout the throughout the world because he's still bitter about the Ottomans, apparently. And he's also, everything is about himself. He wants everyone to focus on him. Or not, not like that, but like, <laughs> he, he wants... Uh, a written record of how awesome he is, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he probably wouldn't appreciate how he's been turned into a monster all that much. No, he wants to be defined as a completely different kind of monster. Yeah. We got plenty of those, Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as things catch up with people, eventually they uh, mercy kill Rossi and they get the hell out of there, but then, like, they still feel the presence of Dracula on their lives as they try to forget about stuff, and eventually Helen disappears after she started a family with Paul, 
and then we fast forward and basically it turns out that Helen was actually alive the whole time and she like faked her death to lure Dracula out in the open and that only took roughly uh 10 years um (laughs) (laughs) but Dracula directly comes after the family and Helen uses that as an ambush and she shoots him with a silver bullet and then she dies a few years later because you know she did fake her death by jumping off a cliff and that does leave brain damage yeah and eventually the narrator's, her father dies as well, and she becomes a normal scholar. And the book ends with her finding another Dracula journal, and she looks at it and she's like, you know what, no, and she just leaves. Yeah. Because no, fuck you, vampire dad. Also, she might be directly descended from Vladimir Paler. Yes, he had kids. They tried really hard to get back Valachia. Uh, didn't work out after that became basically part of the Ottoman Empire. They didn't try hard enough with a corpse forest. It was a corpse shrubbery at best. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, miniseries, we could easily get five episodes. Yes. Five, I'd, I'd, I'd reckon six. So the reason I want to stretch it out a little bit is because I want more of the narrator and her maybe love interest like yeah. she meets a i think a was he a british student yeah he was a british student uh yeah i think it was like a british undergrad um over at oxford or if he wasn't yeah, we can like, retroactively make him like an undergrad who you know he he's one of the tas mm-hmm. because students need to fucking live and if you're yeah. going to oxford and let's say he doesn't come from money that's a hella expensive school. Yeah. Even with a scholarship, I imagine. Yeah. He is living on 1970s equivalent of ramen. Every day. <laughs> I think the 1970s equivalent of ramen is just ramen. Oh yeah, that probably was introduced by then. The British version, which is probably worse than what we get. Yeah, because they like they open the packet and it's like, seasoning, oh no, that's too much salt. We'll just eat the noodles dry. <laughs> <laughs> yep just boil the fuck out of everything like my grandparents still do mix it with some blanched liver Ugh. yeah we were talking the other day about the proper way to cook brussels sprouts um my grandparents do it wrong they still do it wrong they still boil the fuckers i i don't trust brussels sprouts uh, it's one of those you should either fry them, bake them, or roast them. See, I'm pretty sure I've tried all three of those, and it just doesn't work. Okay. They're so... I, I think it's honestly more of a texture thing, because they're so fibrous. Oh. Leafy. Okay. And I'm like... I don't know, maybe if you, like, extremely chop them up and make them basically a salad, because they're just tiny lettuces. Yeah, there is a version where you, like, chop them up and then you cook them with, like, bacon. That could work. Yeah. Real bacon, though, not bacon bits. Yeah. Actual strips of bacon. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so I want the narrator to have a little bit of a bigger role because, so yeah. in the book, her dad, Paul, basically disappears and she has to follow his notes to, like, retrace his steps and figure out where he could have gone. And yeah. she does this with the assistant of her British TA who she meets because she's doing her own Dracula research while he's meeting with a colleague, and he, uh, this is when he basically tells her, so don't do any research on Dracula, or you might get Babadooked. And she's like, yeah. yeah, sure, Dad. And then she immediately starts doing that. Because she's a teenager. Yeah, and so when he disappears, she, like, she goes to the British TA, and she's like, you're my only friend in, like, 
on this continent. <laughs> I need your assistance, or I at least need you to be my chaperone. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, there's only, I think, a two-year age difference, so it's fine. Yeah, and if anything, we can make her, like, 18 by that point. Yeah. Because, like, the narrator's part also takes place over a couple of years. And, like, so that, and that's why I want a bit more stuff in her. I want her to have to do her own research and not just be retracing her dad's steps. Yeah. And I also think it'd be interesting if all of her father's, all of Paul's journals, like, were not in the same place. Ooh, yeah. Because if Dracula operates solely on paper trails, and Paul's trying to cover up a paper trail, he's not just going to have a single box in the attic marked, Vampire Notes, Do Not Touch. <laughs> no. He's going to have them, like, hidden in, like, secret rooms and libraries in different countries, and, like... Sewn into the binding of books. Yeah, and Paul, given that he's working at the diplomatic level with stuff, um, he knows people. So, oh, I can only imagine some of the issues she's going to have. Yeah, because he, Paul is going to be like, "There's, I'm going to have to leave breadcrumbs because someone is going to have to pick this up uh, but at some, some point. Yeah. But I'm not going to leave them out in the open. Yeah, because what if Dracula is also like, hey, let's fuck with this. <laughs> yeah so in that case i also did come up with 10 possible names for the narrator should we have to actually give her a name all right so uh, this is the tonight show top 10 <laughs> so this is also thinking about her grandmother because she was named for her maternal grandmother and that maternal grandmother was never given a name herself so yeah so she's got a Bul old country bulgarian name romanian Okay. Yeah, they right. go to Bulgaria because they couldn't get into Romania, but, um, uh, okay, Helen is an ethnic Roma uh, Romanian, but she was brought up in Hungary. Okay. So, first I thought of Stephanie, because the Romanian equivalent is Stefania, Mary, Maria, Claire, Clara, Martha, Marta, Angela, like, it's the same there as it is here, um, Elizabeth, Elisabetta, which is a vampiric staple, for whatever reason. Yeah. I think... Okay, Vlad the Impaler had... Uh, I think he was married twice, and one of his wives, uh, she thought he had died in battle, and she's like, oh, we're gonna get fucked, so she jumped off a cliff and died. It, but she was never named, but I think the name Elizabeth was attached to her at some point. Okay. And, and that's why it became popular, and it really became popular after uh, Francis Ford Coppola's film uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because Mina is apparently a reincarnation of Dracula's first wife. It's weird. It's really okay. Weird. See, I googled Dracula Elizabeth to see if that was one of the characters in the original novel, and of course the first result is Elizabeth of Bathory. Yeah, there's that, that connection too. Elizabeth Bathory was the infamous blood countess. She was a Hungarian uh, noblewoman from the late 1500s, early 1600s. Um, there's some dispute over whether or not she actually did murder all those girls to bathe in their blood, because she was a very powerful woman from a very powerful family, like one of her cousins. Yeah, I want to say it was one of her cousins became the king of Poland. She was also a Protestant in a fairly big Catholic area, and she had a lot of money. So there's all of that, but at the same time, archaeologists have found a whole bunch of uh, skeletons from around that point. That are mostly female, they think. Who died? Maybe she just really liked bones. Relatively young. Yeah. 
So yeah, she might she might have been a really tough mistress and uh, may have murdered at least a couple of girls. Yeah, I think uh, Elizabetta would be a good name for the mar- the narrator. Um, was there an Irene in Dracula? No. No, but I was looking at like common Romanian names and I kind of timed when the narrator should have been born uh, about the late 50s and like what were popular names around then. Okay. Yeah. So no, I think I like Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> And it can like even be her her name is Elizabetta and she just goes by Lizzie. Yeah. Cuz it's the 70s. Yeah, Lizzie sounds like a more 70s nickname than like Betty. She could also go by Beth. Actually, now that mentioned, now that you remind me, I feel like Betty would be a more 70s nickname. I think Betty is a bit more 50s-ish, but yeah, I could see Betty. Um I just think, like, by then, Betty was becoming a bit old-fashioned for uh, an Elizabeth girl uh, nickname. Oh, okay. Yeah. wonder if Betty is going to come back in style thanks to Riverdale. Oh, yeah, it will. I wonder if Riverdale is enough of a pop culture phenomenon. (laughs) (laughs) Everything old is new again. Like, we've gone through all of, like, the weird super white names, like Aiden, Caden, Lakin all that, that, from what I've heard, a lot more old-fashioned names are becoming popular again. Um, I also, uh, last night, was going through possible actresses for our narrator. Um, I came up with three. Nina Dobrev, Camilla Mendez, and Adelaide Kane. Okay, let me... So, so mine was, when I was reading the book, mine was Amanda Seyfried. Okay, I was thinking Amanda Seyfried, but then, like, a bit of a description was given of her, where it's implied that she's got, like, uh, darker hair, eyes, like, she looks more like Helen. Dark hair, dark eyes, all complexion. And at some point later in the book, the narrator gives a very brief description of what she looks like, and that she has dark hair and somewhat, I guess, some more tan or olive skin tone to her. I would veto Camila Mendez because I I feel weird about casting a Latina actress and saying, but you're actually just a European. Yeah. Nina Dobrev I like because she actually is from Bulgaria. And geographically, Bulgaria is like literally across the Danube from Romania. So, yeah. I'm not sure if either of those could play the narrator because the narrator is supposed to be a teen and they're both in their late 20s at this point, and they mm. don't look like teens anymore. They look like adult women, because they are adult women. Yeah, but there's also, like, hair and makeup. That's... That, that's true. Like, yeah. oh, I know hair and makeup can do a lot. I watched Glee. I saw Rachel go from 15 to a grown woman in over the course of three years. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Nina Dobrev would be a good casting for Helen. Okay, because I had actually found a Romanian actress to play her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but she is called uh, Monica Berlin, Berlin De, Denu. Berlin Denu. Model, actress. I think she's done some English stuff. I'm not entirely sure. But I thought, hey, she looks like Helen Rossi in my mind. She does. She is also in her 40s, which would be good for adult Helen. But Helen was like 26. 
yeah, so that's why I'm thinking Nina Dobrev would be good for flashback Helen. Okay. Because Nina Dobrev is 30. Like, yeah, there's only 10 years between the two actresses. Oh. Okay. But Nina Dobrev could play someone in her early 20s. I think casting her as a teen would be a stretch. Okay. But Nina Dobrev could still pull off early 20s, and then when we come back and it's grown-up Helen, then it could be Monica Barladonu. Okay. So then, as for the narrator, maybe we'll find a not well-known teen actress. Um, Anna Golia. That's G-O-L-J-A. Oh, yeah. Just 23. So, yeah, you could easily make her into, like, an 18-year-old. And she's just off of Degrassi from a few years ago. Okay. Just like Nina. <laughs> Albanian Spanish. Okay. When you give me the options of Nina Dobrev or Adelaide Kane, I was going to either start going through Degrassi alumni or Power Rangers alumni. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, every actor has to start somewhere. Yep. I'm glad that a lot of actors are starting out from Power Rangers. Yeah? Camille Hyde is cleaning up. (laughs) To the point where... Liz K, every time I see a Power Rangers actor in something outside of Power Rangers, I point directly at them, and I turn to my parents, and I go, look, it's a Power Ranger! And then I have to, like, rewind and pause and, like, point them out and, like, to give their, like, Power Rangers credentials. But Camille Hyde has shown up in enough things that I can just point, and my mom's like, oh yeah, it's Camille. <laughs> awesome. So, I don't think I had come up with an actor for Paul. Uh, Paul is a British nerd. He's supposed to be American. Oh, he's American, right. Yeah. Mm, hang on, let me check. Who else is in Degrassi? <laughs> well, I think he's supposed to be a bit older because he's, like, a, a grad student. So they're okay. usually, what, Who else is in Power Rangers? <laughs> you know, okay. So if he's American, then we could bring in Camila Mendez as the narrator. Okay. Okay. Because then, also then we are able to not have a whole bunch of white people. Yes, that's true. So, thing is, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone who matches that description and also looks like an academic from Power Rangers. There's other places where we could find, like, 20-something, 30-something actors of uh, who are Latinx. There are not. <laughs> Only Power Rangers. <laughs> As I said, he's supposed to be a grad student. They're usually like late 20s, early 30s, and they look, from what I understand, is a very stressful sort of thing to go through. If we took Brennan Magia and we really nerded him up and we gave him like some, some of the, the hair, the slicked down hair and some glasses and some polo shirts, that'd be a good look. <laughs> Give him a 1950s haircut, yeah. And we'd be like, now, unfortunately, you can't do your mad stunts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Unless you want to, like, fight, I don't know, that one Hungarian apparat officer. (laughs) 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 I put in my notes, rest of the characters, like, Turkish actors playing the Turkish characters. Yeah. Hungarian, Bulgarian, like... Hire locally for most of these peoples. Yeah. Besides, most of them can speak pretty good English, so you don't really have to worry all that much. Also, honestly, I don't care how good their English is. If they have to speak in their first language, just do that and subtitle it. This is a globetrotting period piece miniseries. Yeah. And then, as for uh, Bartholomew Rossi, I thought older version. 
Stellan Skarsgård. Mm, that's a good pick. Younger version, one of his sons. That's also a good pick. <laughs> yeah, that, I was thinking, huh, how do we do this? Oh, wait, Stellan Skarsgård. He has like three sons who are well known. That's great. I would say Alexander because he's the dreamy one. Yeah, that's my first choice. And then we can have Pennywise play Dracula. <laughs> well, I'm not too sure who I would cast as Dracula, but here's an interesting thing. Um, turns out we actually have a very good contemporary description of IRL Dracula. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, this guy, Nicolo Madrusa, met Vlad the Impaler this one time, and he wrote... Uh, he was not very tall, but very stocky and strong, with a cold and terrible appearance, a strong and aquiline nose, swollen nostrils, a thin and reddish face in which the very long eyelashes framed large, wide-open green eyes. The bushy black eyebrows made them appear threatening. His face and chin were shaven, but for a mustache. The swollen temples increased the bulk of his head, a bull's neck connected his head with, from which uh, black curly locks hung on his wide-shouldered person. Huh. I would almost say go to Romania and find an actor. Yeah. Like, I prefer to do that. Or there's not a lot of actors who, in the Anglosphere who could really fit that description. It's almost, I mean, he's supposed to be a natural and, like, in that thing of, like, he's technically very attractive features, but assembled in just a way that it's really weird to look at. Weird and very threatening. So I would say cast someone based on their acting ability rather than their appearance, and then just go ham with the makeup. Yeah. Makeup and costume. Let's get some awards in here. (laughs) Actually, so now that I mention that, of course, I think the the obvious choice would be Doug Jones. Okay. You're familiar with Doug Jones, right? I've heard the name. He is the famous uh, actor who always does, like, almost always does um, I for compl- prosthetic characters with lots of prosthetics. Oh, So he, okay. he was Abe in Hellboy. He was the Shape of the Water oh. guy. Um, okay. He, he's a guy, he's one of the aliens in Star Trek Discovery. He's okay. someone in The Strain, yeah. which is, makes sense because of Del Toro and vampires that look really monstrous. Yeah. He was the Silver Surfer. Ooh. Uh, naturally, well, he was one of the kangaroos in Tank Girl. <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth, he was the Fawn. And Pale Man, I'm pretty sure. Oh, he's in What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, cool. Yeah, Again, vampires. A, yeah, as a Baron Afanas. I haven't seen the. I haven't seen any of What We Do in the Shadows as yet, yet unfortunately. Baron Afanas, an ancient vampire from the old country who believes vampires should rule the world. He is also pansexual. Good Both for him. N- Nadia and Laszlo have secret had secret affairs with the Baron. <laughs> so yeah, he's already got vampire cred. So yeah, we could totally do that. Get two scars guards. <laughs> Cast everyone else locally and then take advantage of all the different tax credits that you can get for filming in Eastern Europe. Yay! You're desperate for that money. <laughs> Please, subsidize our film industry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Now, who do we pitch this to? Um, the History Channel. Yeah, yeah. Our History Channel, not the U.S. History Channel. The U.S. History Channel will fuck this up. Oh, I didn't know there are two different History Channels. 
Yeah, um, our History Channel and the U.S. History Channel are owned by two different companies. Huh. Yeah, I think ours is owned by... They're owned by Chorus. Okay. Also, this is... We don't need to get too far, but I was also thinking this could also easily become a graphic novel. Yeah, easy. But it's it's definitely something that it lends itself to a period piece live-action drama. Yeah. Besides, I love the costuming from, you know, the first half of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get Nina Dobrev in some real sweet 1950s outfits. Yeah. Well, I only watched the first two episodes of Vampire Diaries. But from what I understand, at some point she played her ancestor. So she was al- already yeah. has a wardrobe full of period pieces. Yeah. Mostly from the 1860s, but like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> speaking of Eastern European stuff, um, <laughs> uh, one of the uh, YouTubers I follow... Um, Karolina Zabrowska, she does, um, she's from Poland and she does historical fashion and she has opinions about how Hollywood does costuming. Mostly of the, they focus way too much on the sexy part. Yeah. And not on the actual, like, how these clothes work. Yeah. No corsets weren't all tight laced. That was like a trend in the 1890s among the, the actresses. And even then, most of their photos were edited to make them look even slimmer. Dang. Yeah, you could totally do that. It was mostly just taking marker to, like, the edges of the skirts or taking a bit of white out to the edges of the skirts to make them look ever so slender. Um, yeah. So, um, we do all that and we get a couple Emmys? Yeah, just a few Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> See, it'll be a miniseries, which means that we only really have to compete with Ryan Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think HBO only comes out with a good miniseries once every few years. And no one watches them. People watch them. People were talking all sorts of stuff about Chernobyl. There was nothing oh, but true. high praise. I forgot that was HBO. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Stellan Skarsgård is going to get all the awards. Like, they're basically going to have to have, like, a t-shirt cannon that just goes, here, here's your award. Actually, the Emmy's already happened, so let's check what awards it did get. Uh, Primetime Emmy's. It won limited series, it won directing, uh, and it won writing, uh, and Jared Harrison, Stellan, and Emily Watson were all nominated, but they did not win. Oh, oh well. Um, and then it won a bunch of creative Emmys, too. It also won the Location Managers Guild Awards. Okay. So I think that's another one we can gun for. Yeah, because I do really want to film in a lot of these historical locations. All right. So is there anything else you can think of to add to The Historian? Not much. I think we got most of our thoughts out for it, and um, I'll probably add notes to this when uh when it goes up yeah about all the other historical information out there that you could read because oh boy did it cover a lot of stuff yeah i'll write up a small essay yeah <laughs> chris it's what i've been doing for work yeah but yeah so in that case i mean speaking of small essays we better go cite all of our sources before the librarians take our books away yeah so we're gonna run and do that in the meantime you guys can have this friendship promo Hello, you beautiful blood-sucking babes. I'm Sahana. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of Summer Twilight Book Club, a podcast where two dumb bitches with social work degrees reread the four horniest books of their teenage years. If you're at all curious about any of the following, this is the podcast for you. 
Does Bella Swan have a car crash fetish? Yes. I am telling you right now the answer is yes. Does Stephanie Meyer understand healthy relationship boundaries? Has Bella Swan ever had a secure attachment in her life? How has Twilight impacted the societal and my personal conceptions of romance? Why does Stephanie Meyer owe Sahana and all other brown people reparations? Why is Edward Cullen so into edging? You can find Summer Twilight Book Club at theorangegirls.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you access podcasts to find out. (sighs) Why do you still use MLA? Because... I'm an English major, and I was taught the way of the ancient masters. Y'all know Chicago's better, right? Chicago isn't a real city. (laughs) Chicago is just superior. Chicago is a lie invented by Saturday Night Live to sell more Blues Brothers albums. Uh, Anyway, Tanner, where can people find you? (laughs) no we have to start with you because that's the way okay okay that's the way the alternation works unless uh, you want to read off the whole spiel with all our contact information no you go i was just messing with you Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet i can be found at Lindsay m476 on twitter that's Lindsay spelled with an a and you can get to all my social media bullshits from there tanner where can people find you uh, if you can find the secret book with the woodcut of the dragon and you open it up inside, you'll find that on Twitter, I am at Sparky Upstart and on Instagram, I am at Sparky Young Upstart. And you can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F pod. Those are the letters for not if I repeat you first and it's pronounced Nirif. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and you can find this very podcast on Instagram at not if I repeat you first. That's all one word. The hashtag is N-I-I-R-Y-F and that is pronounced Nirif. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You can also find us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or where you think the secret body of Vlad Tepesh is buried. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do so, make sure you just send us a hint instead of the entire idea, because we like being surprised. If you'd like to support us directly, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash notifyrebootyoufirst where you can get a bevy of bonuses. As I mentioned, you either will learning about those soon, or you just recently learned about those. I do not know how time works in the context of when these go up. (laughs) But one of those bonuses includes a weekly shout-out for all of our patrons, and right now that is Charlie. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Also, I feel like we don't say this enough, but also just thank you for listening in general. Even if you don't give us money, the fact that people listen to this is pretty cool. Yep. And you can help us out by uh, rating and reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. It helps with the algorithm. Exactly. And if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Although I think just if you get on the big five, it just kind of disperses to others. And also I think if people put like the RSS feed or whatever it is into their podcatcher, it just like manifests for everybody. Yeah. Podcatchers are weird. Anyways, last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Tanner, what are we doing next week? So, next week, we will be casting the first spell, Zakia! Okay. <laughs> also, there's going to be puppets. Okay? And we'll deal with that next week. 
but not if we reboot you first. <laughs> Bye.